Hi folks, Dr. Joe Bianco and I are here in Studio B at WOUB Public Media Center, and we are so honored to be joined by Tiandra Finch, founder and CEO of Spirit Over Flesh, an LLC located in Columbus, Ohio. Her educational background is eclectic. She earned a bachelor's degree in athletic training from Capital University and remains a certified athletic trainer. She also holds a master's in curriculum and instruction, an MBA, and a postgraduate certificate in sports management from Wright State University. I have to say, though, that none of those credentials strike me as important as the lived wisdom that she shares with others on a regular basis. Her guiding mission for Spirit Over Flesh is to help others define and attain their own definition of success through health and healing. Inspired by her faith, she's a fundamental believer that what you feed your spirit will manifest through the flesh. Today, we're talking with Tiandra about her life's calling, her recently published limited edition book, and an article she published in Health Communication. Collectively, all of these reveal how we can heal through words. Tiandra, uh, we are so incredibly grateful for you joining us today on this episode of Defining Moments. I am so overwhelmingly grateful to be here with two of two amazingly beautiful individuals that I am grateful to call friend and mentor. Um, so thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. I want to get started today with a, an excerpt from your essay in Health Communication. And for our listeners, there will be free accessibility to that essay through a link on our Facebook um, but in that essay, you start and you introduce yourself. I'm going to use your words here. A strategic free spirit, a recovering straight-A student, and proud medical student dropout. Created from inception with an effortless desire to lean into understanding, to examine and immerse self in others' pain in order to embrace the hurt they were able to express in fewer words. Okay, first, Tiandra, there's potent words that you penned, but I share them now with the audience and with you as, as an opening to create space for you to tell us and listeners what you'd like us to know about you. Wow, so... I just I have a couple um, just quick narratives about who I am. And before, when I would be asked for an intro or a bio, I was always quick to express myself through accomplishment and career. And I did that. And I realize now that I was overcompensating to fight against stereotype. And so when asked who I am and to express that, I always just lean into desire of spending time with the person who's asking. Mm 
because it's not truly about who I am that is important to me, but it's how you feel around me. Are you safe? Am I safe? Do we, we, do we create space for one another to, to exist and to be and to flow and to, as my friend Lynn says, riff? <laughs> Is it okay to be exposed? And there's a few narratives in particular that add color to that. Um, one... November holiday, my parents packed two of my brothers and I in the back seat of our car, and we drove from Ohio to Florida to spend that holiday week at Universal Studios in Disney World. Just to add a little color to the weekend. It was the first time that I ever experienced having my cycle <laughs> as a girl um, and wanting to be in the pool, which brings some pretty interesting uh, conversations and um, actions. Um, we also had our holiday meal at the Motown buffet, which I still remember to this day, was absolutely amazing. There was great music on the radio, great memories with my younger brothers. And on the road trip back, we were just all smiles and recounting of memories. Um, but when we pulled up to our home, there was an orange sign on our front door and our front windows. And for those who can relate, I'm sure you automatically thought of eviction um, because you, you can never let someone know about your eviction status um, subtly. And so they, in my experience, choose this bright orange um, color. And so Experiencing homelessness right after experiencing family vacation to Disney World is quite the juxtaposition. Um, and so that's one story. Um, another story is that I grew up having a beautiful father who raised me, who unbeknownst to me had adopted me, whose last name I still carry proudly. Um, and finding out at 12, uh, because I was very inquisitive and putting together in biology class that babies literally are made in nine months. So somehow I had a hood twin, which is lingo for a brother who, um, or sister or sibling, who's born in less time than there is to make um, another child in a nuclear family. And so finding out that I not only had one father that I would love and adore, but grow to have two fathers that I love and adore. And because of that, experiencing um, the crack epidemic um, face forward. 
And so those are just two stories that kind of share a little bit about who I am and experiences that I've been. Mm-hmm. When I listen to you, I'm reminded of a fundamental truth that I carry with me, that we are always in relation to others. And we are in relation to others amidst material circumstances of our lives and amidst broader social narratives that all shape our sense of self. But that's not a siloed identity, right? Those are formed relationally. Um, and sometimes in contexts that are fairly hard uh, for most of middle America to maybe understand. Thank you for sharing, Tiandra. Yeah, those are those are some incredible examples and insights into the types of experiences you've had, both contradictory and redemptive. I'd like to talk about a different part of you, something that you created that emerges from you and your experiences, Spirit Over Flesh. You are the founder and CEO of Spirit Over Flesh. It's uh, your passion. And anything that you create, I think, gives us a window into your sensibilities and and your worldview. So can you talk to us about how you created it and its mission? Oh, gladly. Um, so in 2012, I had just experienced one of the um, most debilitating health-related situations that I had ever personally been in. Um, I was medically overdosed um, on prescription drugs where a human, right, who is a phys physician, made a mistake, um, accidentally increased my dosage for a prescription medicine that I was on, causing me to, within a day's time, gain 20 pounds and be in the emergency room um, with vital signs that were very outside of what they were just a few days before. And so blood pressure through the roof, um, heart rate through the roof because of the fluid around my heart. And so it was a three-month intense journey back to some type of normalcy. And in that time, my body was the weakest that it's ever been. I probably weighed as much as I did when I was a toddler. Um, I always have grown up being a strong um, and, I don't know, bodied woman. And so I was very thin. And because I was thin, my mother was taking me um, to a doctor's appointment. And on the way back, I could feel every piece of gravel in the road. I could feel every turn. And I paused and I exhaled. And for the first time in my life, I heard an audible voice and it said to me, spirit over flesh. And so that's where the name spirit over flesh came from. And from that point on, I took my attention away from my body 
and placed it into my spirit. And I truly began to heal exponentially in a way that is beyond understanding. And so fast forward to the time when I was in medical school and thought that I needed yet another degree um, and was told for the second time in an audible voice, um, be still and be led. And during that time of pause, which I'm so grateful for our Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine for, um, I was driven to turn spirit over flesh just from a personal mantra into a platform and an opportunity to encourage others um, for their personal wellness. Um, It's three-pronged currently. We are about wellness, where we prioritize unapologetically Black women, education, where that is absolutely without fail for all, and then investment. Investing in others is a form of radical healing, and it also in turn helps you invest in self, which is necessary, as Audre Lorde says in her famous quote. And so that is what Spirit Over Flesh is. We utilize manual modalities, narrative medicine techniques, and intention to sit with the person who is across from you as if respecting fully their expertise for their body, their being, and their experience, to come alongside of them and support them into walking their wellness journey and their ascension of health. So in listening to you, Tiandra, it sounds like part of how you prioritize the wellness of Black women, focus on education, invest in in others, is through one-on-one consultations. Am I hearing that correctly? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes, very much so. Do you also work with groups or consult with um, classes or the public in any way? Yes, I am. I'm an educator because I am a learner. I love the classroom. I love collective journey, collective productivity, collective liberation. I feel like there's so much to be gained from when we're in those spaces where we can learn together. So I love that space and interact with that space quite frequently and desire many more opportunities to do so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you maybe talk us through one or two kind of memorable moments in in the work you've been doing with Spirit Over Flesh that will transport us into what this what this feels like and looks like in action. Sure. Um, so one of the first experiences that come to mind when I realized before the name what Spirit Over Flesh would become was an experience with a Division One um, soccer player, soccer athlete that I worked with who came into their first season 
being told that they had experienced a career-ending injury where not only was their athletic career at a halt, but their activities of daily living would no longer be the same. This person was diagnosed with perineal palsy, but to the extent where they would suffer ongoing foot drop, so the inability to actually lift up their toes and control and point dorsiflex and plantar flex their foot. And so upon meeting this person, I felt their spirit immediately and just began communicating directly with that, Um, began speaking life, began encouraging the qualities of them that far exceeded the soccer field. And before any of us can look up, before the referring physician um, could truly check it out to see its legitimacy, this person was back running and back competing. And before the end of this first season, because they were already coming in on scholarship, they were scoring goals and making moves on the athletic field that added to their team, added to their university and their family, um, and back doing what they loved. And so from there, I knew like, you're never just dealing with a diagnosis or a symptom or one aspect of the person that's in front of you. You are dealing with a holistic being who far exceeds anything that we can think or imagine or any definition that we can attempt to put on them. So that's just, that's one example. Another that I want to just give light to is my experience in opportunity to work with an organization called Total Image Empowerment. A friend of mine was starting an organization and knew that I had experience with curriculum and instruction and had this concept to do work within a prison. And so we worked with about 25 individuals who are currently incarcerated at a medium security state penitentiary in Ohio. And when I tell you that that was one of the most invigorating experiences where we could come together and create family and encourage and empower one another and educate one another. We flipped, you know, flipped the boardroom or flipped the classroom. My colleague was working full-time at one of the largest universities in the country at the time and was like, you know, I just don't have time for our book club to read the book. And I said, you know what? I don't have time either, but you know who has time? And it was, it was our family that was currently incarcerated. And so during that time, we met um, who I call the professor to this day, who's on his way um, of earning, I think, his third degree at this point, um, because he was in that setting, again, currently incarcerated, but had so many gifts and so much light and such a love for education and knowledge, but he was able to spread that. And, and it's just knowing when to lead and knowing when to follow and desiring both of those and everything in between, I think, 
is how I can best describe the collective approach of Spirit of Rapesh. Yeah. It's that's beautiful. It there's a fundamental reverence and respect for expertise in all forms, not just in those that are typically um, prioritized in our healthcare system. It's beautiful. Yeah, Tiandra, I want to circle back to narrative medicine. You mentioned that earlier. The way you told stories about spirit over flesh are perfect examples of narrative medicine. And the article that you published in Health Communication 2020 Vision emerged out of a narrative medicine seminar called the Open Book Project at the Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, but for our listeners, I want to just maybe give a quick overview of what narrative medicine is and just a little bit of an overview about the Open Book Project in order to ask you a little more about where narrative medicine fits in to your sensibilities. So narrative medicine is a discipline pioneered by Dr. Rita Sharon at Columbia University. She had the radical idea that clinical care could be improved by physicians who read poetry and who discuss art and who turn to anything but um, the textbooks that they've been trained in to learn how to hear, absorb, reflect, and interact with the kind of complicated stories of illness that their patients bring. So fast forward, um, several of us have been trained at the medical school in narrative medicine, and we founded our own version of a narrative medicine curriculum. We thought it would fit in very well with some of the issues of um, disparities that our medical students are facing, and it also complemented the osteopathic philosophy of our of our college. So each week, the Open Book Project um, consists of several seminar sessions that are co-facilitated by two faculty, sometimes staff, um, facilitators, and we sit and we examine a theme um, through a poem, a work of art, or even a clinical artifact like an x-ray or a close-up image of a surgery. And we use these artifacts as springboards to discuss issues related to social justice, racial equity, and inclusion, and especially in healthcare contexts. We have students write reflections and engage in other narrative competencies um, and activities. And we invite them to sort of experience those stories and perspectives that they may see in the clinic when they become doctors, but that are very different from and maybe even challenge their own stories. So, Tiandra, you were a facilitator in the Open Book Project. It's how you and I met, and I'm forever grateful for that. Um, and you're actually an amazing co-facilitator there. Can you talk a little bit about the Open Book Project and your experience and in general, really, how narrative medicine fits into your vision um, and your your sensibilities, whether it's in spirit over flesh or just your approach to how you treat others and view others? I absolutely love narrative medicine. I think it provides me the language and the framework in which I personally view and traverse life. Um, 
I heard Lynn earlier um, refer to my writing as poetic. Um, and it very much is storytelling. But storytelling is a term, honestly. But as a child, if I was told that I was storytelling, that that was fighting words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that meant that I wasn't telling the truth. And that is never the case because I'm always telling right now what I've understood um, is a version of the truth because there's so many truths that there's so many facts that make up one truth or something like that. Um, but narrative medicine, Joe, we actually met, I was a student, um, in a class where you lectured and you came and taught on social medicine and I knew early on that, man, why am I, <laughs> is a doctor what I want to be? I, I went to medical school knowing that I did not want to be a doctor. And I didn't have the language for it. I, I was confused. My father that raised me um, died of malpractice. Um, my father that made me was a assaulted by the crack epidemic um, before it was called an epidemic, even if it is even called that today. Um, but it's the instances in social me medicine and narrative medicine that I long for to this day and that honestly have me question whether or not I made the the correct decision which I I'm confident that I did but it's it's those moments that I'm like this is absolutely beautiful and it's necessary I understand that narrative medicine does not yet show up on our boards. I understand that insurance may not yet understand how to bill <laughs> for narrative medicine or see its lucrative um, benefit. But I know without a shadow of a doubt with my personal experience with seeing the experience of others, that this is the game changer. The ability to see one another and to hear and to feel and to, again, desire um, to hold space for is what I would express my understanding of narr narrative medicine and my love for narrative medicine is. And so it's definitely something that... Um, I'm always bringing into experiences that I have um, where I get to exchange with another person. It's a, it's, a, it's a way to hold conversation. It's a way to interact. It's, it's communication in its finest form. Uh, I'm shaking my head that you can't see right now. But I know you'll believe me, and I'll have I'll throw a little amen in there um, for that. And Tiandra, it reminds me of a book that I've read with Joe on multiple occasions by Catherine Montgomery called How Doctors Think. And what she fundamentally argues is that we have, as a society, positioned medicine as a science. 
And instead, we need to reframe that and think about medicine as a science-using interpretive craft, right? Communication in its finest form, right, to, to quote you. So science focuses on the generalities, right, of maybe how a disease presents and the generalities of the progression of an illness. But those are always lived in the particularities of a person's life, whether or not they have a home that they can go home to. So what I hear you beautifully capturing is kind of this aspiration for healing that is, is very much um, contextualized in a person's life. And, and in, in light of their aspirations, maybe that's getting back on a soccer field right? and, and playing at Division I level, right? Um, that they're, what, what wellness means to them is important. Yes, I, I wrote down the book. I can't wait to pick it up. It's not one that I've read yet. But I remember when I was a medical student, um, a question was posed to me. And it was, are you going to be a scientist or are you going to be an advocate? <laughs> and I was perplexed because I was like, how dare you ask me that question? Why should I, Why should anyone have to choose? But I undoubtedly will always choose advocate. And I very hesitantly choose science because although there are sciences that I do enjoy, a lot of that is trained and learned and reared and not as organic and natural as the care and concern and heart that I have for my fellow brothers, sisters, siblings. I think, Tiandra, knowing you, one of the beautiful things about you is that you don't have to choose because you are. You just are. The world is um, a place where you can be both scientist and advocate, and neither one will negate the other. Um, it's where you kind of transcend the body and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, li- listening to both of you, it. I wonder what our worlds that we walk through would be like if we tried to replace or with and. <laughs> and we tried to replace but with and. Um, because the ors of the world too often separate experience into silos, separate people, right? It can be both and, right? Um I can desire both stability and seek change, both and. And too often the buts prevent us from entering into, right, the vulnerability of possibility. So I don't know, just listening to you, right? I want to hear more ands. That's what I want. Hi, folks. This is Lynn breaking in for just a second. Joe and I have been talking with Tiandra Finch, founder and CEO of Spirit Over Flesh. She's gifted in her capacity to heal herself 
and invite others into that healing process. On our Facebook page, there's a link to her recently published article in Health Communication and to her website, Spirit Over Flesh. You can also follow her on Instagram at Spirit Over Flesh LLC. Okay, back to the conversation. Tiandra, the summer when we co-facilitated Open Book Project, from which this article in Health Communication was published, was the summer of 2020. And it was it was a series of experiences that put the world into what Arthur Frank might term a global chaos narrative, right? We were trying to figure things out in the U.S., centuries-old racial injustice and unrest was again fully present. And we were grappling with the uncertainties of both a novel virus and an epidemic of systemic racism. So this wasn't just wasn't just another open book project seminar. It was it was happening amidst um, what remains a lot of unprecedented uncertainty and suffering that no doubt is differentially experienced based on circumstances of one's life, but we had the opportunity to be with a group of medical students who were learning how to be future healers in the midst of crises that were calling their very profession into question. Let's let's talk about that, the three of us, because we all three together were on that journey. And it's what I find really compelling about your essay is your raw honesty about how you were experiencing the world at that time and as someone who's a healer. Yeah, I think I, if it's okay, I'd like to read a little. Mm. Mm-hmm. We invite you to do that because Please. it's one thing to read your words and they linger and I feel them. But I, I would love for our audience to hear you speak them. Thank you. Enough has happened over these last few months of COVID 2020 that I've wondered, is this really who I am or are none of us truly exempt? Is every experience of life within reach or rather a global pandemic away? Experiences I thought I had compassion for were now fully mine, dabbled in, dunked in, lived in, and all. There no longer came a need to understand from the outside looking in. In 2020, a light came on, and all attics, all basements, all closets were exposed. We all sat there completely naked, no routine to cover us. In most cases, only shelter to shield us. But shield us from what exactly? 
The killer of the air was silent. Corona followed us home whether we were diligent or not. Whether we physically distanced more than the advised minimum of six feet every time we stepped foot outside our door or let in the maintenance man for routine upkeep, we risked the inevitable inevitable of exposing ourselves or our loved ones to the leading culprit of the time. The plot twist, however, was not within the direct plight of COVID, rather its accomplices, which unbeknownst to them all, had hit an un- extremely unprecedented lick and overnight gained access to an ever-increasing amount of victims and perpetrators alike. The question was, were these true colors being revealed? Or was this all just a cry out from the trauma we all would experience, stands, healthy outlets, comfort zones, and support systems? All rugs that were pulled from under our feet as soon as our doors were closed and we were mandated to stay home. Wow. When you read that, hearing you read that, it just kind of underscored the raw intensity that um, I think we felt when we read it first. You know, and it leads us to consider how kind of our bodies keep the score. You know, systemic racism is felt in the body. It's a lived experience. It's in every cell in your body, and it's it permeates. Health inequities are present in our bodies. Um, our bodies experience compassion, but they also experience battle fatigue. And those who care for the bodies of others have to care for their own as well. So that time, that summer of 2020... As all of these things were colliding, um, I think it was very significant for medical students training and thinking about this. the world is vastly changed from when I entered medical school and what it means to be a doctor is very different. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the experience of being um, a black woman and being in the medical field when you were in med school, what COVID has sort of exposed that may already have been there, and what your experiences are with with that in general. Yeah. We talk about how our bodies keep the score, but it's 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 literal, you know? You start to feel things, you start to remember things. Um you know, if you've ever looked up the the snowflake or the water study where words, memories, sounds, vibrations actually have an effect, a scientific effect on the frequencies um, of the molecular makeup. So when you ask uh, some of those questions and you so eloquently um, describe the theories, um, you know, I, I feel, I feel. And so I want to say that it was thanks to 2020 and thanks to the experiences, then 
and since, I no longer refer to myself as a healer. I still have the Western medicine um, certifications and licensures, and I still can say that I took the MCAT once and applied once to one school and got in and started medical school. Um, I still have memories of being a young girl and utilizing my hands, and I would even say my heart and my soul and my spirit to bring comfort to older family members um, in ways that, again, are difficult to explain. Um, However, I am no longer a healer. I take off the last two letters of the word and just say, I heal. I desire to heal. And as I heal, and not before, I can then be in a position to be an example, to be exposed, to be vulnerable, to exemplify what that can look like, and to potentially empower others to do the same. I no longer desire to be a healer and I guess put the cart before the horse Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) because I don't want to be picked over anymore. I want to be able to reserve healing for self and not feel bad if I don't have enough to give others. It's been a journey um, experiencing intimate partner violence was something that became very real in the summer of 2020 for me. And having the score being tallied on my ribs, one of the more intricate, I would say, and ingrained and strong yet fragile bones of our bodies. And with the experience as a healthcare professional, prior to, in addition to (laughs) being a very proud medical school dropout, I have language and knowledge to describe intimately what's going on with my body. I can deal with that pain more than is okay. Um, I grew up taking that kind of pain as a badge and a badge of honor. And so physical pain does nothing to me. But the emotional memory of experienced 
pain in certain situations is so debilitating that it's beyond words. But when I'm expressing what is going on with my body from a healthcare standpoint, and for that expression to be met with anger, disgust, by healthcare professionals who are threatened or annoyed by the language that I have the ability to use, it is an experience, again, that I just don't know how to fully express, but I am here today to put language to it because I know that I, as a Black woman, am not an anomaly. And being an expert of my body but not being received and expressing that and wanting to come to healthcare professionals for support, for their care, for their concern, for their expertise and their field to come alongside me and to help me heal. The fact that it's a fight and it's one where you feel deflated and defeated more than the pain that may have been aff afflicted is a cry out for narrative medicine, for medicine, for humanity, for social justice to do something about it. That's incredibly powerful. Because it sounds sounds like your experience as a black woman who's has health literacy, who has medical knowledge and experience of her own body, received almost the equivalent of interpersonal violence in the way she was received in the healthcare system. And it sounds like what you're saying is that's not likely to be unique to you. I I have full evidence that it's not unique to me. Mm-hmm because I'm blessed with sisters hmm. who experience this when they're birthing their children, <laughs> when they're caring for their children, having been travel nurses, being physicians, but not being believed for their experience or being asked to dumb down or water down their descriptions. Hmm. full-on evidence. And yet, in the very beginning, when you were telling us the story of the founding of Spirit Over Flesh, and you took us back to a medical incident that was traumatic and defining, you still had the generosity to refer to the person as a person who made a mistake, a human being who made a mistake who happened to be a doctor. I think that says a lot. Joe, thank you so much for hearing that. Because the compassion that I have for my former colleagues when I was in medical school, for my friends and family now who have gone through 
the process and have earned their degrees for, you know, the entire profession. I have so much compassion and love and gratitude. And it's not the individual's fault, the experiences that we undergo. However, there is an opportunity to take the statistics of maternal morbidity of Black women, regardless of country or origin or, or geography, and to take the works of Harriet Washington with the medical apartheid and the passages that we discuss in narrative medicine and potentially the one conversation that is had in February of every medical year, um, which is growing. Let me not be cynical. Hmm. We, we just have an opportunity, and I just know that the weight that is bared on the individuals who step into the role as physician is too heavy and is unnecessary because although physicians are experts in their fields, and I use expert lightly, um, I think it's a word that we should push back on, we cannot get past the fact that the human being that comes to you is an expert of their body and that they are more than capable of understanding what's going on if you just sit and not only listen, but connect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To exercise the muscle that is your imagination, Mm. to try to understand the life world of another person. That, that's a muscle that demands stretching and building <laughs> just as we practice our, our other um, diagnostic and clinical skills. I have to tell you, Tiandra, of all the words that I feel when I read your writing and when I hear you, cynicism is not one I would use. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I don't want to take away from the fact that that you might describe yourself at moments with that word, but for me as a reader, I see someone who's upfront, both in your article and in your book, um, that we're going to talk about, who's upfront and says this might be uncomfortable to hear. And this might be uncomfortable to read, and that's okay. And I hope that you'll stay on that journey. And um, amidst that discomfort, amidst the vulnerability, I also sense hope. And maybe that hope comes through the vulnerability. Maybe the vulnerability is is what Brene Brown would call the birthplace of creativity, the birthplace of imagining otherwise, right? Something else. Um, And I feel that, not just with your article, but I feel that with your book. Limited edition, I feel pretty honored 
that I have an autographed copy, Give Flowers When They're Due, an ode to black history. This book was released on July 4th, 2020, and in entering into the book, it's it quickly becomes apparent that that date has particular significance given the focus of the book. Can you talk to us about that? Yes. Um, so as many of us know, July 4th is the date that um, we celebrate United States uh, Independence Day. And some of us feel different on that date than others. And I will use I statements and say that I, for a while, questioned what we really were celebrating due to my understanding of Juneteenth. And at the time, the lack of recognition and understanding of Juneteenth from the rest of the world. And so July 4th um, was an opportunity where I had already written this book a couple years prior. Um, but being the recovering straight A student that I am, <laughs> um, it wasn't perfect. And with all the boundaries and barriers that exist for first time college students, and especially first time students of color, first time authors, First time everything um, <laughs> in certain categories, there's, there's just unknowns. And for me, being a person who has excelled in our systems, um, sometimes I struggle to do the same in areas where it's hard for me to develop the process from origin and utilize the creativity that I have innately that wasn't necessarily celebrated in traditional classroom spaces. And so prior to July 4th of 2020, I had experienced um, a number of, I'd say, life-threatening um, moments and life questioning moments. And I said, you know, posthumously, Michael Jackson and just <laughs> a few other artists have released great word works. And so I might as well release this book even if it's done so creatively, creatively, or I struggled to say that word just now, um, before I know all the proper T's to cross and I's to dot, let me just get it out. And so I chose this date and I chose the opportunity to reframe what this date looks like to us, thanks to one of my favorite authors and people, Asada Shakur, in a letter that she penned on July 4th of 1973. And so, again, it just looked like a date that could be reframed or reclaimed. And if it's okay, I wanted to read a little bit 
of what she wrote and how it was um, encouraging to me. She says that Black revolutionaries do not drop from the moon. We are created by our conditions and shaped by our oppression. She go, goes on to say, there is and always will be until every Black man, woman, and child is free, a Black Liberation Army. The main function of the Black Liberation Army at this time is to create good examples, to struggle for Black freedom, and to prepare for the future. We must defend ourselves and let no one disrespect us. We must gain our liberation by any means necessary. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. And so in writing the book, um, I was celebrating individuals through Black culture mm -hmm. and in giving myself permission to release it, I had nothing to lose but my chains. <laughs> a week ago, I found myself in a Zoom session at 7 o'clock at night with an alum of Ohio University, and she encouraged students to do it afraid even if you know enough to be dangerous. And I was like, that's phenomenal advice because too often a sense of perfection and a need for that prevents us from stretching and growing. And what you have given us is a gift that I have no doubt will continue to evolve in ways that, that we might not even anticipate right now. Um, I have the I have the book opened to page nine, Tiandra, and there was a passage that struck me as really important. And I, I had opened the book, but it really speaks back to what you just shared what, what you just shared. You, the passage that I had starred and highlighted, we are Martin's dream, Malcolm's evolution, Nina's song, and Maya's poem. However, if we continue to look to our past without simultaneously looking to our left and right or in the mirror, our progress will suffer. We must edify and support those among us making strides every day. We are indeed surrounded by greatness. So part of what captivates me about this book is how you engage in kind of time travel where you don't want to wait to give flowers when they're due until someone is no longer with us. And yet the individuals that you elevate and celebrate, they too bring in historical fig figures who in their lifetime have inspired them. So you're able to continue to elevate voices of the past, sometimes that haven't um, had the circulation that they deserve, 
but not at the sacrifice of the here and the now, the left and the right and the mirror. Um, so talk to me about what led you to that creative decision, because I think that that's a pretty profound one in the book. Yeah, thank you. I remember one of, there's like a few lessons that I learned in primary school that just stick with me. And one of those lessons is that technology improves exponentially. And so to me, that's a challenge. Technology is not the only component that has the ability to improve and advance exponentially. I believe we do too. But if we constantly glorify history, it's hard for us to realize the value that is in the present. And so there's that. There's also my spirituality. I am highly innately innervated with every ounce of my being that far exceeds my body. Um, that goes before me and, and, and stays in places um, after I've left um, by my spiritual, I don't even know, presence, um, awareness. I am indigenous. I am native. I am a product of the enslaved, but prior to colonization and pseudo-discovery, um, I have roots in Morristown, Tennessee, of a Cherokee tribe, where I believe if I didn't feel as though the right was stolen, I would identify as two-spirit. With these gifts, it is evident in the book. Um, I encouraged peers and individuals of today uh, who were being featured to share someone who they felt encouraged by themselves. And many of them shared individuals who spiritually they are very much connected with. And so it wasn't hard to connect the dots and write a spiritual love letter um, to these individuals like Brandon Oshodan or Omatayo Obayanju and Jamie to who they identified as their own forefather, foremother, or ancestor, or influencer, um, to show the, the similarities in the fabrics of their creativity and heart and, and souls. And for folks listening who don't have a copy of this limited edition book, many of the individuals 
that you write, these what you call spiritual love letters to, are also featured on the Spirit Over Flesh Instagram. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And that it is it's how it it's actually how it started. So it was just random. It was one Black History Month, which I think is a beautiful month. Um, and it gives us a an excuse to start the year off celebrating and to carry that throughout the year. It doesn't mean that we have to stop. Um, but in doing that, I featured a number of people and then decided to carry those features on into a book that will be out at some point once I get this, the support and the um, make the decision to do it afraid, even if I know enough to be dangerous. As soon as I get there again, it'll come out. Jen Doherty. <laughs> yes. Thank yeah, you. you're welcome. Her words live on. Oh, well, speaking of giving flowers where they're due, I want to I want to extend a bouquet to you, Tiandra, for just sharing with us all of these insights, your perspective, your worldview, your compassion and your strength. I want to end before we wrap up. I would like to end on a note of thinking ahead. Can you tell us what's next for you in Spirit Over Flesh and what projects you have and where where life is taking you next? Mm. Oh, that's such a beautiful question and exciting question. So I know that um, joy comes in the morning is uh, scripture. And for a lot of my peers, they are choosing to no longer greet one another with good morning. Um, some of them have chosen to say grand rising. Some of them choose emojis <laughs> in text. Um, but with the word morning, like the early part of the day, um, has similar vibration to the word morning as in sadness or sorrow. And so I am closing my door in my chapter to sadness and sorrow and hardship. For the longest, it was a part of my identity, but it's one that I feel like we've had a great and beautiful relationship. She knows where I live. I know where she does. And we can visit each other for the memories or hold space. But we're now moving into true joy and creativity and expression and freedom and you will find me soon living in a van <laughs> traversing the country being the example of healing and spreading that that love and life and light uh throughout um and Spirit Over Flesh, the brand, will not only service beautiful Black women and women of color and those who love us um, through manual modalities and dry needling and proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, but also in books and in classrooms 
and in ways where we can collectively learn and grow together. I am just so excited for this new chapter of my life. I know that I'm welcome here and it's time for me to take off my shoes, maybe take off my bra, (laughs) be very comfortable in this space and welcome others to do the same. As you heal, which I think is a beautiful inclusion of yourself in a process, right? As you heal, I hope that um, you will stay in touch with us. You will come back and visit us. Please do. Um, because it's it's just been, a, once again, a joy to have this conversation with you, Tiandra. Thanks for making space um, to riff with us um, and to share your love. You all are family. Aww. So my van will be parked outside. in Athens or wherever we're going to be on the way from here to there and we'll go on a hike in between love it sounds fantastic (laughs) thanks so much everyone for joining Joe and Tiandra and I for this episode of Defining Moments It's a podcast that's produced by WOUB Public Media and the Barbara Geralds Institute for Storytelling and Social Impact. Adam Rich is our sound engineer. You can subscribe to Defining Moments at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the NPR Podcast Directory. We hope you'll follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at DMPodcast, W-O-U-B. On our Facebook page, we'll provide links to Tiandra's article and the website for Spirit Over Flesh. We hope you'll take time to rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And as always, go in peace. Peace.